I'm the queen of of trying new ways to make slop that would be so tasty. <laughs> That's true. That is that is your culinary niche. <laughs> Welcome to All My Friends Are English Majors, the podcast where I, a business major, make my friends, almost all English majors, read popular fiction with me. This month, it's Sally Rooney Month, aka Hot Sad Girl Month, aka Irish Waif Month, aka, I don't know, Inaccurate Female Friendships Month, slash Accurate Female Friendships Month. Layers to this onion. Um, so <laughs> my guest this month is Jess. Hi, Jess. Hi, Ted. Do you identify as a hot, sad girl? Um, or an Irish waif? I don't know. I don't really think I um, believe in the hot, sad girl. Hmm. You're a hot, Not sad girl the- truther. <laughs> I think that I I probably identify more as a hot, anxious girl. Oh, interesting. Do you think it's a binary? No, I think you can be anxious and sad or just anxious or just sad or like any conglomeration of being hot blank girl. Maybe we can <laughs> ask people to comment on the Instagram to what kind of hot blank girl they are. Hmm. I think if I had to pick, I think I would pick hot sad girl. But, you know, we don't have to choose. Women can be anything in the Women can century. be anything they want. <laughs> okay, yeah. Jess, you're about to tell me about a sneeze. Oh. Yeah, I was <laughs> kind of joking about talking about it on the podcast. But I'll talk about it. Fine. Twist my arm. I'll tell were you there, about my Were there sneeze. boogers? Did boogers come out your nose? <laughs> I just... Okay, so I have been fighting bravely against this cold. I... I don't know. God gives his toughest soldiers little colds in the summer. <laughs> and so I have been suffering and I keep like waking up in the morning, especially just like incredibly congested. And my dad thinks that I like have inherited his sinus issues, which probably means that I might start snoring like a man, which is horrific. But oh my God, um, women don't snore. I know. That's what I was saying. I was, like, talking to my dad about it. I went to go see him for Father's Day. I was the only kid who did it, so suck it, brothers. <laughs> anyway. I Didn't they go um, see your older brother for Father's Day? Because he is newly a father, though? Well, kind of. Not necessarily for Father's Day. But then I went to go see my dad for Father's Day, and we went to Firehouse Subs and talked about Priya Krishna of Bon Appetit fame. I'm obsessed for a long with her. Time. She is amazing. He he tried to put me on her. He was like, "Have you heard of her? She's amazing." And I was like, "Dad, <laughs> have you seen her That's wedding so photos?" Funny. No. Oh my god, Jess, you have to go on her Instagram right now. I will edit the. I will edit out the pause of you going on her Instagram. Her wedding photos. There's a photo of her and her mother pressing their faces together. That like genuinely made me shed a tear when I really? saw it for the first time. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, Wait, are you looking so... at them? I'm looking at the wedding pictures. I don't think I see her and her 
mother. Here, oh I've God, I've no. gone to view all. I'm looking for them. Show me her and her mom. This is Priya Krishna's <laughs> mother. Erasure. Oh my God. Hold on. I love them. This is so cute. Also, the burgundy. Is it a sari? That yeah. she's wearing? She looks beautiful. Oh, this one. This one, this one. Here, I don't, here, I don't think I can share my screen. I'll just take a picture of my computer <laughs> and text it to you. This is really uh, excellent content. <laughs> oh, I love her so much. She's just I like, do too. has great, so, well, I have a lot of thoughts about this because a lot of, like, food creators have, like, such a specific palette that you, like, either like their palette or you don't. Like, for instance, Molly Boz, just, like, I do not like the same foods that she likes, and so, like, I don't really want to make her recipes. Yeah. But there's something about P- Priya Krishna, maybe I just have a, a similar palette to her, but I think that she just, like, transcends that limitation. Because she's really thinking. And She's always doing something new exploring and she's well, also just so like a delight to watch oh my god i just saw the picture <laughs> oh. yeah yeah are you also shedding a tear over the picture of priya krishna and her mother pressing their faces together at her wedding oh my god my eyes are watering and my nose is running at the same time <laughs> The other thing that I really like about Priya is she is, like, and I think genuinely if she heard two girls, two, like, random liberal arts students from the Midwest calling her effortlessly cool, she would be like, that's the funniest fucking thing I've ever heard. Because she's so earnest. She's so earnest. And not in the uncomfortable Taylor Swift way. Right. Mm -hmm. But, like... Mm -hmm. Oh my god, I can't believe I just invented insulted Taylor on the pod. The Swifties are going to cancel us. All of the Swifties <laughs> who to listen to the pod. Um, but like nothing about her earnestness like brings me any sort of discomfort. Like I'm just like, yeah. yeah. Like I like you and I like what you're trying to do in the world and I like Do you remember during COVID, she, like, did a lot of, like, Ask Me Anythings on her Instagram where she was, like, trying to help aspiring food writers? Hmm. Mm -mm. I don't remember that, but that sounds like something our girl Priya would do. Yeah. I love her. She's just the best. She's a queen. We love her. Yeah. I think that she just, like, has a very... Some people, like have a good heart but find it difficult to show it and some people are charming without like being good but she seems to be able to like be charming coming from like a place of genuine goodness also i don't know her it could be a whole (laughs) act you know (laughs) i've never met that woman but it does genuinely like seem like she just wants Everybody to experience the joy of food. The joy of cooking, if you will. Yeah, not to be parasocial about our favorite BA contributor. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) We really should have learned from our mistakes there. But yet, here we are. 
I made two Carla Lolly music recipes this week, so... Really? Yeah, I made the pasta alia e olio. Alio e olio? Um, from Where Cooking Begins. Um, because I have so much parsley in my green stock garden. And then, also, I made her, like, cucumber salad, and I added way more ginger than I was supposed to, and it's kind of (laughs) gross. But, that's okay. Sometimes you take it out. How much is two inches of ginger, really? Like, how, how good is the piece of ginger ginger supposed to be? I never put ginger when you're supposed to. I hate it. I think it tastes like medicine in a bad way. Oh, I think it tastes so good. One of my favorite things to make right now is, um, like, when I need a big pot of mush to make into meal prep for a week, I do essentially, like, do you know that, you know, like, chicken and rice, how you, like, cook the chicken thighs and the rice together with, like, chicken stock? One pot meal. Yeah. Yes. I've been doing that with ginger, turmeric, potatoes, rice, chickpeas, and peas, and carrots. Nice. Oh, Jess, it's so good. good. Yeah, that sounds really good. It sounds like a just, like, orange slop that would be so tasty. (laughs) I'm the queen of of trying new ways to make slop that would be so tasty. (laughs) That's true. That is is your culinary niche. (laughs) That's so true. And you know what? Sometimes the slop I make is not that tasty, but I do just eat it for the whole week because I spent the money on the food. Yeah. In my experience, your slop has been tasty. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Anyway, my sneeze. I sneezed up a little (laughs) bit of blood is the story. (laughs) Like a a little clot clump of blood. Oh. And it wasn't like a nosebleed, it was just like a little bit of blood. Oh, God. And I was like, it was one of those things where you're like, <laughs> this is what I was thinking. I was like, um, well, anyway, I just threw <laughs> away the little <laughs> Kleenex and I was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. I mean, I've also been did, trying. If it wasn't a cough, like if it was a sneeze, it definitely just came out of your nose. But if you like, hacked up a lung and there was blood, I would go to the doctor. Yeah. I don't know. I famously do not like to go to the doctor. I was talking to my friend who's an eye doctor today at breakfast, and he was, like, saying how I probably need to go to the doctor because I've had this cold, like, pretty consistently for, like, months. And I was like, I just feel like every time I go to the doctor, they're always, like, asking me all these questions. And I just feel like they should mind their business. Yes, they're <laughs> like, trying well, to properly diagnose you. I know, but I just, like, am really uncomfortable in there. I'm like, why do you need to know how much I weigh and whether I might be pregnant in order to tell me if it's a problem that I sneezed a little bit of blood? Like, I don't know. It just seems like a big hassle when a lot of the time I'm, like, convincing myself that I have these, like, serious maladies that I do not because I know that I'm like mildly a little bit a hypochondriac so if I go to the doctor every time someone tells me to go to the doctor I would be going to the doctor a lot and so I just as a general rule don't well (laughs) here's the thing I've known you how long at this point 
it's 2023. I met you fall of 2016. So it's been like almost seven years. Wow. When That's we crazy. lived together, you had walking pneumonia for two months. <laughs> so that's one. And I was walking. I was Jesus, walking. girl. You were so <laughs> sick. Jess, you slept in the recliner in the living room for like two weeks. Because you couldn't yeah, that sleep was, laying down. That was really rough. I like couldn't be in the library because I couldn't stop coughing in the quiet area. I like had to leave because I was coughing so much. It's the second week in a row we've recorded the pod and you've sounded sickly. Yeah, we we should probably <laughs> talk about Sally Rooney and not just about <laughs> blood in your Why don't sneezes. you want to talk about my medical anxiety and your boyfriend's eating habits for an hour and a half? Well, I just have to think about the fans. You know, what? All, all like 12 of them are really tuning in to talk about Sally, to listen to us talk about Sally Rooney. Yeah, me being a guest on the podcast decreases your audience <laughs> engagement by, like, a significant percentage because I'm a very engaged audience member. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So. Well, yeah, what are we going to do during ACOTAR month? Um, We're going to, I'm going to tell everybody that I know that I'm going to be talking about fairy sex for four weeks in a row and they better tune the fuck in. <laughs> oh, my I God. I almost think maybe we don't do a comparison contrast month and you just, like, read A Court of Silver Flames. We just, like, go <laughs> through all four of them. Because A Court of Frost and Starlight is literally just, like, Sarah J. Moss being like, and here's a little fan fiction. Here's 100 pages of fan fiction. Pay me $25 for it. I saw this tweet one time that was like, um, once I realized that a bowl of mac and cheese has the same pattern as all Sarah J. Moss books titles, my life was never the same. And I think about that every time I hear one of the titles. A bowl of mac and a cheese. A blank of blank and blank. <laughs> a bowl of mac and cheese. Oh, no! <laughs> Yeah, I I can do the comparison contrast episode of um Sarah J. Moss right now in a minute or less. If you like this series, you should read Throne of Glass. It is finished, it is better, and it is more interesting, and there's more nuance to the world. There we go. Solved well, it. Well, then why don't we just read Throne of Glass? Because there's ten books. Oh. Well, shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's Comparison Contrast Month. Week. <laughs> it's it's Comparison Contrast Week, so we're going to talk about themes that go through all three of Sally Rooney's books. We're going to talk about the good and the bad. We're also going to talk about, because these books are romances, we're going to talk about which of the love interests are good. Probably in the same section that we talk about um, why Sally Rooney thinks you should hate your partner. Um... Mm. Let's see, Jess, where do we want to start? Do we want to start with, like... I would like to start... Well, can we just start by saying, like, which books we liked the best and least? Like... Oh, yeah. I kind of want to just have a, like, a refresher of what we thought of the books as a whole and then go into specifics. Okay. My so, Tuck, what was your favorite 
What was your least favorite? Which ones would you own? Which ones wouldn't you own? Okay, I... Normal People's my number one. Then Beautiful World, Where Are You? Then Conversations with Friends. I own the first two. I will not be purchasing the third. So, which one did you read last? Like, when you were first reading them? Um, it went Normal People, Conversations with Friends, Beautiful World, Where Are You? Gotcha. And on first read-through, I did hate Beautiful World, Where Are You? Because I was, like, (laughs) truly, truly, like, shut up, shut up, shut up. When I was reading the emails, I all I was seeing was them being, like, really, really esoteric, and I was not seeing the, like, fun friend elements of it. Mm -hmm. And then on second read-through, I think I kind of let the esotericness, like, wash over me. And, like, could see a lot more of, like... Hmm, seems like you didn't really actually like your boyfriend very much, so it's weird of you to be so sad about it. (laughs) Which is, like... Yeah. A friend who had to listen to Eileen talk about Aiden for, like, months and months, and then talk about the breakup for months and months, before she was finally like, okay, Eileen. Yeah. You're allowed to be sad, but I don't really think you liked him, because we talked about how much you didn't like him over and over again. So I'll listen to you, but I don't want to anymore. Yeah, which is real female friendship, if I've ever heard it. Yeah. Like, you can only say that to a friend of yours that is, like, truly your friend, you know? Yeah. Because they also have to be, like, in the space where they can hear something like that, and if you guys are just, like, kind of friends, that person is literally just like, oh, she hates me, and she doesn't understand me, and she doesn't want to listen to me. Yeah. Right. Whereas, like, the closest friend is really saying, girl, I have listened to you, and I'm done. Yeah. Like, you're doing some revisionist history here. You did not even like that guy. He seems annoying on social media. By the way, we didn't mention that when we were when we were talking about Beautiful World, Where Are You? She, like, does a bunch of Instagram stalking, and they describe, like, how he is on Instagram, and his bio is, like, local sad boy something something and then he like has this he has this new girlfriend whose username is actual death girl which is ridiculous (laughs) i don't know why she did that i don't know why she put that in there that is so dumb like local sad boy feels very 2021 which is when the book came out but actual death girl and like also everything that aiden puts out is like all lowercase the actual death girl, capital letter for each. Like, no one writes their, like, no one exists like that on social media in 2021. I don't know. Anyway, that is neither here nor there. Okay, I liked. Go, go on. I was about to ask you, but. <laughs> I was going to say, I liked. Conversations with friends more this time than I did last time I read it, but it's still at the bottom for me. And then I don't know. Normal people just like is I don't know. I probably have the same ranking as you. I think it's normal people, beautiful world, conversations with friends, but 
conversations with friends the first time I read it would have been like very low like a distant third but I liked it a lot more the second time around I think that it like I was kind of having the same experience that you had with Beautiful World Where Are You where like I was doing the thing that we've been talking about a bunch about celebrity readers sometimes thinking that they are like outsmarting her and thinking that she's just like doing something annoying when really she's like trying to portray something self-consciously um but yeah and we can get into more of why i liked conversations with friends more the second time as we go along do we want to talk about the economics of it all to start yeah i think we really should dig in yeah So, a lot of people's complaints about Sally Rooney are that she is a self-proclaimed communist, but she writes these books about, like, in a lot of cases, like, fairly wealthy and well-off Irish people, and even the people who are not particularly well-off, like, still have a very adequate life where they are clothed and fed and like have the ability to have intellectual debates about communism and I think that in her books she is trying to have a nuanced conversation about what it is to be a communist or a socialist while like still existing in the systems that system that we live in but I think that online as with like literally every single topic if you do not live in an extreme, you are, like, doing a bad job. And, like... Yeah. I think that she, like, has a pretty accurate portrayal of what it's like to want to be a socialist or communist in... in 2021 and 2022. Yeah. Yeah. I think in Beautiful World, there's a section where one of them... I think it's Alice, but who knows their writing voices aren't that different in the emails um one of them is talking about how like it seems like increasingly like the zeitgeist is kind of like pushing this idea that um the people who are like the most oppressed will be able to like speak the most like or have like the most valid things to say about like the situation we all find ourselves in like as a society And she's, like, making this argument that it is kind of, like, too much to ask, almost, for, like, the most oppressed people in society to, like, maintain the, like, ideological and moral purity required to, like, never do anything wrong ever and therefore be, like, a leader in a movement. And also, like, to have somehow magically, like, all the tools required to, like dismantle an oppressive system when they are like under the boot of that oppressive system and she just like essentially i think is making the argument that like we can't expect like bottom-up revolution to happen like in a highly specialized globalized world because there's just like such a gap in like opportunities and like just like development and stuff Uh, between like the top and the bottom which I think a lot of that kind of like goes directly against like a lot of like black revolutionary thought especially in the United States like 
the famous quote, you can't, what is it? It's like, you can't dismantle the master's, or like using the master's tools to dismantle the master's house. What is, have you, do you know what I'm talking about? No, but I can look it up. It's an Audre Lorde quote. The master's tools will never dismantle, dismantle the master's house. And she is just, like, basically, it's a title of an entire essay and, like, talk of hers where she, like, essentially is talking about how, like, the differences of queer people, of black people, of women, of which she's all three, like, how those people who, like, especially have, like, multiple intersecting oppressed identities, like, should use the, like, differences from, like, mainstream empowered society as strengths rather than, like, trying to become more, like, mainstream empowered society. And I think that, like, what Alice is kind of saying is that, like, it may be too much to ask to, like, have, like, a class-wide, um, like, empowerment of people who have been, like, systematically, like, left out. Like, there also needs to be a space for, like, highly educated, like, EU residents who like have a moral bone to pick with capitalism like I don't know I think that there's obviously like a lot of nuance to it and I don't really know exactly like what I think about it I think that Audre Lorde is probably right because she usually is but uh, it seems like Sally Rooney is kind of like not necessarily disagreeing with her but just saying like what is there to do if you are someone who finds herself in possession of the master's tools, which all of Sally Rooney's characters do. Like they all go to like Ivy league type universities. They all like have varying degrees, but still like a certain baseline level, like a critical mass of like privilege and talent and like all like access and stuff. And so like, they find themselves in possession of a master's tools. They know they want to do something, but yet at the same time, they kind of like want a little bit more to like live a happy life and like have a cool house <laughs> and wear their nice sweaters and make their art. So like, I don't know there. I understand why people get annoyed by it because I do think that there's like really, really strong arguments against her politics. Yeah. I think it's hard for me to hate her politics because, like, that's where I'm at. Yeah. Like, I I want things to be better for people who have less than me, but I also, like, drive to work from Sam's apartment through the biggest houses in Kansas City, and I'm like, oh, hello. Yeah. But also- Did we talk about- Go ahead. You're supposed to, like, have a bunch of children to fill those houses. And I don't know if we can be having children in this economy. Plus, they have really big trees. You can't really have a vegetable garden. So, Hmm. like, all of those things make those houses look not as nice to me. But, like, it is nice to, like, drive through a big house neighborhood and have a little dream. And, like... Or to just, like, experience, like, something that is, like, really genuinely, like, aesthetically pleasing a lot of the time. Yeah. 
when I was younger, I like really sort of took pride in my like aesthetic revulsion a little bit to like big houses or to like nice stuff. Like I was like, I don't even like such and such expensive thing. Like I like kind of like dirt bag houses. Like <laughs> I like the house that I live in now is like over a hundred years old. And like when my parents came into it or when my grandparents came into it, they were like, this reminds us of the first house we lived in in like the 1950s. Like I always, I remember I was like mad that we moved into a house that had carpet when we were moving into the burb. I was like, this is too nice. I don't like it. Like, <laughs> like Oh my like, God. Very like against the idea of like, I don't know. Like, I think that I just like had this idea that like every nice house in the world is like McMansion vibes. And mm. I just was not interested in that. And now that I have, like, grown up a bit more, I do find myself, like, drawn to really nice stuff. Like, quality things are expensive for a reason, and it's because they're better. And, like, those really nice houses, a lot of them are, like, ugly, and a lot of rich people have bad taste. But some rich people have really good taste, and they're able to, like, make that real in a way that, like, a lot of people without those means can't or at least can like a little bit less when we were talking about normal people did we talk about the quote where connell like realizes that money is the substance that makes things real that makes the world real we didn't but i think we should talk about it here yeah i think that that i think about that like all the time because like being a teacher and like not really having as much money as like, some of my friends who graduated from the same school as me, like, and, like, I'm sure this is probably, like, an experience for you, too, like, going from corporate to, like, retail and stuff, like, you look around and you see how, like, other people with, like, different financial situations than you kind of, like, can do stuff, like, experience things and, like, make things happen more than you can always when you, like, don't have as much money. And Connell talks about that when he gets the scholarship that, like, makes it so that he doesn't have to work nearly as much and he can travel across Europe during one of his summers and, like, actually, like, see the world and get out of his, like, small Irish town and stuff. And it just, like, expands his world and gives him so much more time and so much more, like, enrichment in his life. And for Marianne, it's just, like, a status symbol because she's already rich and already has that access and already has all that stuff. But for him, he, like, has this, like, moment, almost this, like, transcendent moment when he's backpacking through Europe where he's, like, realizing, he says, money is the thing that makes the world real. And I just really feel like I've been, like, in that mode a little bit lately. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. I... Like, that's the thing that I think that people are missing in Sally Rooney books is, like, and we've talked about this before, but, like, all of us have to live in the current financial system that we do live in. Yeah. So, like, wanting to make more money so your life can become more real, so you can have more things, so you can have more experiences that are, like, what makes making money worth it, like, that is important 
Like mm-hmm. having experiences having experiences is important. But like <laughs> <laughs> experience that sentence doesn't mean anything. <laughs> but it like it like also means a lot. Like yeah. I literally had like four different people that I went to high school with in Europe at the same time three weeks ago. And I was just, like, seeing it come through, like, on Facebook. And I was like, man, I gotta quit my fucking job. Like, <laughs> I gotta get a job where I make enough money to go to Europe. But, like, yeah, I do kind of want to do that. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to go back to France. And I, like, want to go to Italy. I've never been to Italy. Like. Yeah. Yeah. But there's, like, there's this, like, inherent contradiction in so much of beautiful world where are you which like the after we recorded i was like thinking about it even more like there's like a fundamental contradiction there's a lot in that book but like one of them is that like on the one hand in a lot of sally rooney books like money is a substance that make things real we have all these like in every book there's like a wealthy character that sort of like enables other characters to like go like on a picturesque vacation in a large house and it's like a big part of every book so like they go to france in which one is it uh in conversations with friends they go to italy in before where are you or in normal people in before where are you they're still in ireland but they're like by the coast in this big house and like i think because they're not traveling as far because it's like just Ireland to Italy is the furthest journey. Like they're still like getting on a plane and they're still like taking advantage of like a tourist industry that caters to English speakers. And they're still sort of like existing in this like exploitative global system that like they keep talking about how like disgusting it is and how they're like morally really like allergic to it. And yet at the same time, like a big part of the novel is like the aesthetic experience and sort of the like I don't know like the like commitment to like beauty and leisure that like all of these characters definitely demonstrate in one way or another and it almost is seen as as like an a piece of evidence of their like good taste and their like intellectualism and their artisticness and their good politics that they like vacation in the right places and they like I don't know. It just, like, feels like it's a very, like, bourgeois, like, class signifier to, like, go on holiday all together with your friends. And at the same time, like, so much of the, like, ideology articulated by each character kind of, like, should, if you go to the furthest conclusion of it, say, like, stay put. Do not. Don't take unnecessary journeys. You know that. (laughs) (laughs) yes Yes. that is what you should do if you believe that like the west is like benefiting off of the like subjugation of the global south and the like degradation of the planet like if you truly believe that to its first conclusion then like you should not be flying on a plane that's true the english channel does exist yeah and i don't know i just feel like the like yeah, like, the commitment to beauty and leisure, especially as, like, signifiers of, like, being cool or good, 
I don't know. It just kind of like rubs me the wrong way a little bit because it's so different from what you would think they would do as a result of their quote unquote radical politics. Yeah, that makes sense. But like, do you want to talk about your labor rights sticker? Because <laughs> like oh, that yeah. kind of leads into it, guys. We had such a good conversation in the episode we had to delete because the recording didn't work and part of it was <laughs> Jess has this sticker on her laptop um with a famous quote from a labor rights organizer do you want to tell the people about it yes so my sticker on my work laptop <laughs> that i have in my american public high school is um Call it says bread for all and roses too. Hearts starve as well as bodies, and so this is essentially a like really really old slogan from like nineteenth century labor rights organizations who um, struck. Actually, I guess it was like the early like turn of the century, um, but they like had this huge strike textile workers in New England. Um, and essentially like the crux of their whole thing was that they were striking, not just for like the basics of like um, bread and like time off and things like that. Like not just like the basic cost of living stuff, but also that they would have um, eight hours of time off. So like a reasonable amount of working hours and it was kind of like tied to the labor rights movement that was um for the eight hour work day so it was eight hours for work eight hours for leisure eight hours or eight hours for work eight hours for rest eight hours for whatever we will and um it's tied in with like the roses metaphor and they would like wear roses on their lapels and like roses still are like a socialist symbol because it's this idea that, like, bread symbolizes everything that you, like, need to live. But roses are kind of, like, the beautiful things, the things that, like, make life worth living. So the second part of the tagline that's, like, hearts starve as well as bodies is this idea that, like, if you, even if you're giving your workers enough money and enough, like, time to sleep, but you're not giving them time to, like, do other human pursuits, and if you're not, like, making it possible for them to, like, live a meaningful life, then you are, like, still exploiting them and still, like, dehumanizing them and, like, causing their hearts to starve. And I think that the reason why it, like, ties in with Sally Rooney probably is a little bit obvious, but, like, it seems like they are always sort of, like, stuck between bread and roses. Like, they're stuck between, like, feeling bad for, like, having this abundance of bread and roses and, like, also being like, but my roses. I love my roses. <laughs> Which they should. I don't know. I don't really know what I think about Sally Rooney and socialism. No, I don't, like, that's the thing is, like, I don't think it's that deep. <laughs> like, I think that she is a woman with the specific ideology that she is, that she is probably conflicted with her own ideology and is, like, trying to find a way to put that on paper and other people relate to it. And, like, yeah. I think, like I said earlier, stands true. Like, 
people who like have really intense like moral values that feel like the only way to be ideal ideologically correct is to be like pure Mm -hmm. on like either end of a spectrum like yeah of course they don't like sally rooney but like i i would dare to say there is not one single actual communist in the entire world like (laughs) because they're like they're no one is living in a perfect communist system and like you can strive but like but like the whole flaw with communism and socialism and everything else is that no matter what, the people who are running it at the top are selfish. Right. So, like, I, every, everyone on the internet needs to, like, dismount from their high horse. Except for me when I have a strong opinion. Because <laughs> in that, I, the caveat, I'm sure the caveat. Right. <laughs> But, like... I think that, um, my time living in a, like living in my time living in a commune impacted my political views <laughs> if you can believe it and like the when i lived at Cherith Brook, which is like an intentional living community where people are like intentionally living be- below the poverty line and like serving the homeless and all this stuff like those people like did do a lot of like really radical things to like live by that code like to say like like you know how francis says in conversations with friends like if all the world's wealth were evenly divided among like the eight billion people every person would have like sixteen thousand dollars a year and i don't understand why i should make more than that like i know people or knew people at least back then that were genuinely, like, living that way. Like, they genuinely were, like, in the United States, we have this amount of wealth. Separate it among, like, 330 million people. That's how much, like, if I have more than that amount of money, then that is immoral of me. And I genuinely will not do that, even if it requires to me to make, like, very significant material sacrifices. And it often did. And, like, I obviously don't live that way, and I, like, have, like, chosen not to live that way, but, like, I know people who do, and so, like, sometimes when I am, like, hearing Sally Rooney pontificate, I'm like, all right, like, I hear you, and I agree with you, and I am actually living very similarly to, like, how you be living, but there's something about it that kind of, like, like, I feel like when people are like, oh, that's not possible, no one does that, I'm like, well, some people do do it, and they really are, like, accessing a spiritual plane that I, like, (laughs) cannot access. Like, those are people who are, like, walking the walk of Christ. Yeah, that makes sense. Do we want to talk about walking with Christ? (laughs) Yes, that actually is a good segue into the Catholicism of the of it all. Yeah, so in Sally Rooney's books, I feel like it would be fair to say that, like, in every one of Sally Rooney's books, there is, like, maybe not a significant character who believes in God, but, like, most certainly a, a, a person who purports to be Catholic and also, a, like, multiple characters who not really disdain the Catholics, but are perhaps 
confused by the fact that Catholicism still exists and, like, people still believe in God. Yeah. Would that be fair? Yes. So, who are some of our Catholic characters, Chuck? Um, so Simon is our main Catholic character. He, like, goes to Mass once a week. And, like, believes in God. Not so much in, like, a vengeful God, but, like, I think he feels a lot of thankfulness for, like, whoever put him on the earth. And, like, I think finds comfort in the idea of a higher power, which I find really understandable. Um, Yeah. He's our, he's our, like, main true Catholic. Both Connell and Marianne, like, go to Mass as, as the plot necessitates. And I don't think either of them have, like, a strong disdain for the church, but, like, they would be what, um, like, the evangelicals would call just, like, Easter and Christmas goers. Priesters. (laughs) That's what they call them. And then... Did you ever call people that? Priesters in your church? Priesters? Priesters, like Christmas and Easter. You're a priester. Oh. No, I remember being really confused by them, though. Like, I could never figure out, like, why there were so many more people at church and why there were so many more services. Because, like, if you don't believe in God all year long, it's, like, weird to me that they would also be going to service... Just, like, twice a year. Like, like I would love to know the, like, mental choice there. Like, are you, like, paying your twice-a-year penance? Are you, like, I don't know. Fascinated to know the psyche behind it. I have become a priester myself, but... Yeah, I was gonna say, is... like, what... Are you still confused? Because I feel like you are living that life. Well... It's mostly to make my parents happy, but it's always confusing to me when, like, when, like, young couples with, like, young children. Yeah. Like, well, they're trying to make their godly. They're trying to make their heavenly parents parent happy. Oh, they're paying their Their heavenly father. I I mean, I feel like a lot of people just, like, see. I don't know, like, a lot of people just, like, feel like it's not that deep. Like, they're like, well, it's a religious holiday, so we need to go to church. And, like, yeah, we should probably go a little bit more than we do, but, you know, we're busy, so we believe in God and we pray. We just, like, don't make it to church that often. Like, I feel like there are a lot of people who are just kind of like, God understands, like, it's all good. And both of us were raised in, like, such a, like, intense like sociological environment <laughs> yeah that I, we're like what I to play where i'm like i'm here to sing silent night as is my right <laughs> and then i'm here to be really really annoyed on the car ride home that they sang a bunch of weird version of the hymns with like a bunch of long like bridges that we didn't need when we could have just sang the hymn yeah. I'm, like, really, really the grouchy old woman at um, Christmas and Easter service, because I'm like, mm, we don't need to sing anything from Hillsong. 
They like, always remix Amazing Grace. And I'm like, leave Amazing Grace alone. Like, he wrote it like that on purpose. <laughs> Why do you feel like you have the qualifications to rewrite literally Amazing Grace? Like, like I'm sorry. That she went like, double platinum. What are you talking about? Leave her alone. <laughs> I'm so sorry, but, like, do you know the story of Amazing Grace? Like, you, pastor of Hillsong, like, are not going to... Nothing in your life is going to make you understand what that man understood when he wrote Amazing Grace. I know! Like, that's, what, that's what I'm saying. Oh, my God. He doesn't have the yeah. resume to do it. <laughs> What on your resume qualifies you to remix Amazing Grace? Nothing. 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 <laughs> I really am, I'm glad we see eye to eye on this. I feel like the hymns should be left alone for the most part, except the bad ones, <laughs> which then can be covered by only people I approve of. So, yeah, Sufjan is on thin ice. <laughs> I feel very, like... Get that synthesizer out of my fucking face on Christmas <laughs> and Easter. <laughs> we play the organ. Or even, like, even a grand piano. Like, yeah. Either or. But like, I better not see you clicking buttons up there. <laughs> the people of God do not click buttons. No, I think you're, I think you're 100% right. My parents used to be, like, so, so adamant about, like, never wearing jeans to church. <gasps> Mine, too! I wasn't allowed to wear jeans to church till I was, like, 14. I still, to this day, have never worn jeans to church. I went to church last Sunday because I was, again, once again, being the best <laughs> of the kids and going to see my right, dad right. for Father's Day. And I wore a skirt, and I never wear a skirt. And I, like, thought about wearing jeans, and I was like, I can't. I'm going to church. Like, I'm still so, it's so ingrained in me. There are so many things that I have done where I've been like, oh, I don't care about that rule. I cannot wear jeans inside the church building. I will not be doing it. But now, like, everybody on the stage doing their little synthesizer Hillsong music is wearing jeans. And I'm like, interesting. I, huh. um, when I was like eight, I really was out on skirts. I was like very, very much like a tomboy child. And my parents yeah. bought me this like pair of like, essentially like little girl slacks. And I wore <laughs> them, <laughs> I wore them every single week to church for a year and a half. Tuck, did they get them from the school uniform section? No, they were from, like, the little, the little, like, well, you have to remember I was, like, a very tall child. So I think we got them right. from, like, the teen section of Kohl's. Like, the, when you're, like, transitioning out of children's and into juniors. Right. Like, that, like, weird fluid area. Like, I right. was, like, I literally wore them every day for, like, every single Sunday for, like, a year and a half. And then suddenly I was, like, I'll wear dresses again. <laughs> that's funny yeah i was really stunting on them when i was uh like an elementary school kid and church i 
was putting my back into it. I was wearing leopard print. I was wearing gauchos. I was wearing sequins. My church fits. I could have done OOTDs that were like breaking the internet if that were not weird because I was a child. But like no, I, I was really doing it to him. You know, did you, were you still on Instagram? I was on Instagram for like four hours the day I was hearing this sound. Like, like in that I downloaded Instagram for the first time in like four weeks, was on it for like four hours and then redeleted it again. Yeah. And it was like, the sound was like, the like, you know what I ate? And then they would like flash to a picture of them wearing like the worst 2008 outfit you've ever <laughs> seen in your life. And like, that is, that was my church fits for yeah. sure. Yeah. I would like plan them out for like a week. Like I would be like plotting. I would be writing down little notes in my journal and I like wrote my A's, you know, the A's that have the like little like tail at the top. Yes. Like, I, to this day, every time I see an A that's written like that, like, because I feel like a lot of girls, like, had a phase where they, like, rewired their brain to make them write those A's. I had that when I was in, like, third grade. I, like, rewired my entire brain so that I could write like that because there was a little boy in my class who, like, most certainly is a, is a gay boy, but he had the best handwriting in the world, and his handwriting was like that, so I changed it. Anyway, anytime I see an A like that, that has, like, the little tail at the top, and then, like, the smaller little, like, round guy, I think about the lists that I would make in my little journal, my journal that I got from Justice, that had, like, a Fuck little yeah. fuzzy pin attached to it, that was like, what am I going to wear to church on Sunday? And then I would go to church in my little outfit and I would ask questions to the Sunday school teacher that would make her go talk to my mom afterwards. And that's what I would do every <laughs> Sunday. Every Sunday I would be like, well, if Jesus knew that he was going to die, why would he spend all this time doing all this stuff? Why wouldn't he spend more time healing more people before he died? It seems like he could have healed more people before he died. If he was going to die anyway, why didn't he just wait until he was like 80 years old why do you have to die when he was 33 i'd be asking those questions and i'd be wearing the best fit you've ever seen and everyone would be like yeah yeah teacher why <laughs> yeah think about it why and then they would yeah, talk to my parents and then i got really in trouble stirring things up in class and like, it's really hard for me to teach Noah's Ark when, like, your very smart nine-year-old is asking leading questions that she doesn't actually want to know the answers to. She's just trying to prove she's smart enough to ask them. <laughs> well, the thing is, I really, like, believed in God, like, hard. I went to Bible college. I believed in God, like, hard until I was, like, 18. So it wasn't like I was, like, doubting. I was just, like, genuinely confused. I was like, I know that guy, and he's smart. I don't know why he would do that, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. Well, and that's the whole thing with evangelicalism, like, in general, is, like, damn, if this God is so good, what's he up to? Yeah, exactly. That's, that was what I was always asking. I was like, is this is this your bae? 
Is this your man's? Okay, but we're not talking about the evangelicals. We're talking about the Catholics. Yes, the Catholics. Simon, I love the way that he is portrayed as a religious person because he's just, like, never really defensive about it, and I think that's nice. Yeah, he's really just like, you do you, I do me, brother. Brother? It's true. Did I tell you that my grandma recently secretly converted to Catholicism? Is... Oh, I thought that she was just, like, praying for the the partners in her grandkids' lives like she was Catholic. No, I also thought that, because she sent me a message that was like, I've been, I said a rosary for Diego for his tryout, which is so funny, because, like, it's a made-up sport, does not matter. Literally, your boyfriend was the one who was deciding, like, <laughs> it's a very, like, silly thing for her to pray for. But I thought she was saying a rosary because he was raised Catholic. Like, I thought she was, like, doing it as, like, a gesture of, like, goodwill towards him. Because, like, my family historically is, like, so incredibly evangelical that we're, like, are Catholics even Christian? I don't know. And then my brother, who's, like, the golden child of the family, married a Catholic. And so now it's, like, oh, we've changed our tune. And recently, my mom called me and was, like, your grandma is Catholic now, I guess. She didn't oh. tell us. We had to find out from, like, someone else in the Catholic Church who, like, mentioned it. Because she's been going to my evangelical church that my dad is a pastor of and Mass every single day and not telling my family that she's going to Mass. And she, oh, like, got confirmed God. and takes communion and everything. <laughs> and she only told Bo and his wife. Like, she oh only told my God. older brother, who's, like, also, like, married to a Catholic, and was just keeping it from everyone else. She was like, I don't really want to cause any drama. <laughs> Which is so funny, because, like, I don't think anyone would be mad at her, but she was just, like, doing her own thing. And then my mom called me, and she was like, I wouldn't have been mad, but now I'm kind of mad that she kept it from us. And I'm like, you're not parenting her. She's fine. But That's very, um... Not to the same degree, but that's very my, like, great-grandmother. When my dad was an assistant DA in Iowa, he, like, lived near his grandma, my great-grandmother, and he would take her to Wednesday night, like, church, church feeds, essentially, and he would, like, make her plate for her, and after the first week, she turned to him and she was like, John, I am 83 years old. You do not need to put green beans on my plate. I'm not eating them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that's Good for very, her. And that's how I feel about your grandma being like, well, I'm old enough to make this decision. Yeah. She's like, my husband's been dead for 10 years. I'm having my second, my second wind. I'm doing my own thing. I'm just, you know, becoming Catholic in my as my last hurrah. And, you know, good for her. I think that that's kind of fun. It's very different from how she, like, has always talked about Catholics. But people change their minds. Old dogs learn new tricks. She's changing the beat. Yeah. Okay, let's see. We've talked about our main churchgoer. Francis is our other, like, main Catholic character. 
She, and yeah. she's not even really Catholic. It's just that so much is going wrong in her life that she's kind of like, maybe I'll just read the Bible. Yeah. And she, like, starts reading the Bible, but almost like it's, like, a literary work. Yeah. Like, she's kind of, like, really just like, hmm, I wonder why people have been studying this. Yeah. She says that interesting thing about how she feels like the Bible makes more sense to her when she's when she pictures Bobby as the Jesus character. And she's like, I feel like I can, like, tell what Jesus means more if I, like, have Bobby doing it. Because, like, Bobby will, like, deliver some of the lines straight. Like, the love your enemies line, like, that is, like, straight and earnest. But then other ones, like, about, like, wives submitting to their husbands are, like, said ironically. Like, the way that Bobby would say it if she, like, had to say that. And I thought that was, like, really, really interesting and, like, very illuminating to how their, like, relationship works and, like, what Francis sort of, like, thinks of Bobby. Because, like, if I think about, like, what, what would I think of my friend, like, playing Jesus? I don't know. That just yeah. would never occur to yeah, me if I was reading the Bible. <laughs> like, what if Tucker was saying Jesus's lines? I'd be like, Tucker, stop talking like that. Like, you would never be like, the most important figure in my life. Now I need to make them the person telling me everything. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But I think that Bobby also, does kind of like... like like, you and I need to not, I think, underestimate our evangelical upbringings in terms of, That's like, true. being able to understand, like, like, I don't know if you and I, like, or at least I will not speak for you. I know that I don't believe a lot of what's going on in there, but, like, mm-hmm. I would never really, like, ascribe Jesus's words to someone else. Yeah. Like, I would never, like... Like, I don't, I don't, in my very limited brain capacity, like, I, like, that's, Jesus said that. Yeah. Those are red (laughs) words. Those words are in red. Yeah. So that's actually Jesus said that. (laughs) Like, not your friend Bobby. (laughs) That's me stickler. Yeah. Did I talk in, I can't remember if it got cut out. Like, if it was in our first time we talked about conversations with friends, when I talked about Franny from Franny and Zoe, do you remember which one it was? Uh, I think it's the one we cut, because I don't remember editing anything like that. So, I have this theory that Francis is named after Franny from Franny and Zoe, and the reason why I think that is because... In my copy of Conversations with Friends, there's, like, a little Q&A with Sally Rooney at the end. And she references J.D. Salinger talking about his novella, Franny and Zoe. She talks about how, like, Salinger thinks of Franny and Zoe as a multiple or compound love story. That's a quote. A multiple or compound love story. Which she says is how she conceived her Conversations with Friends. It's, like, from that idea. And then... Franny, Francis. And, like, the other thing that's very similar about them is that Franny, the character in Franny and Zoe, 
has this like nervous breakdown and becomes obsessed with saying the Jesus prayer, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner thing. Um, and she like becomes obsessed with like saying it with a pure heart and like is like very disillusioned with like college life and like the the hypocrisy and like um like self-centeredness and like ambition of like going to this like Ivy League college that she's at and so she like has a service breakdown and she becomes obsessed with like having a pure heart and saying the Jesus prayer which is like very similar to Francis's like breakdown where she like starts to read the gospels and she has this like fainting spell in the church and like there's just like a lot of similarities but all that is to say that I think maybe like the like insertion of Catholicism in Francis's sort of like mental health journey is like maybe comes from that. I don't actually know that for sure, but like it seems like there might be something there. I think I think it's good that like Catholicism like does exist in these books because I think it would kind of feel a little bit it feels disingenuous to me often in books about Britain where the church like doesn't exist Mm -hmm. because I'm like well if we think about European history for just a minute and like if you think about the if you think about the architecture of any town like Rome took over all of Europe, so the biggest part, the the place all roads lead to, or end at, or start at, like, is the cathedral. So, like, it just, like, it. I think that it would have felt like we were missing something if Sally did not have these characters who loved, or hate, or believed in, or didn't believe in, or, like, flirted with a little bit like, with Catholicism in Ireland. Yeah. And, like, I like that she doesn't just, because, like, all of her characters obviously are, like, smart, she doesn't have them all just, like, have the same sort of, like, urbane, sophisticated, like, dismissive view of Christianity. Like, some of them obviously do, but, like, a lot of them don't, and I think that that is, like, really valuable because yeah. there is, like, a wide diversity of, like, thoughts about, like, even if you don't necessarily like, believe in the, like, like personal God that, like, we've been taught, like, especially you and I have been taught to believe in, like, there's still just, like, a lot of ways to engage with it. And she kind of, like, shows a wide variety of those, and I think that's good. If she didn't show that, it would feel like every single conversation about faith in the books was the circle of friends in the, like, first third of normal people. That's, like, Connell, Marianne, Peggy, Jamie, Gareth. Like, the insufferable freshman poli-sci majors all, like, (laughs) classes higher up their nose than the other about, like, Catholicism and religion. And I think it's really good that she doesn't do that. Where they're all yeah. just trying to, like, outsmart each other about, like... Like, yes. I think that it is embarrassing and bad when, like, authors, like, treat people with faith as though they are foolish. 
Yeah, I agree. This is a pro-Christianity podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Do you want to talk about uh, wish fulfillment? Oh, yeah. Well, I was initially going to talk about it, like, more with regard to the character of Francis in Conversations with Friends. But I don't really feel the need to talk about that because I feel like I've talked enough about it. So I will just say one thing, which is my observation, and you can tell me what you think about this. Okay. I feel like the reason why Sally Rooney is so runaway successful. (coughs) Sorry. (coughs) Sickly. (laughs) I have tuberculosis. Um... The reason why I think she's so runaway successful is because she, like, combines, like, a literary sensibility with, like, a romance novelist's belief in love in a way that, like, is really relatively unique, I think. Um, And specifically, the wish fulfillment of it all is kind of, like, how all of her characters sort of, especially her female characters, are someone that, like, the reader can very easily just like sort of like map themselves onto like they all have relatively like not like diffuse and like bland or like vague traits but like their traits are sort of broad enough that like a lot of people could kind of like identify with them like they all are like artsy and literary in nature they all like have a (laughs) relatively like um nondescript white woman like physical appearance so you can kind of like put yourself in their shoes and then the things that happen to them are all like relatively positive like for the most part they get the boy like for the most part the man loves them in every single sally rooney book like whatever main female character is ultimately like desired by the desirable male character which is not what you get in a lot of, like, literary fiction that is, like, really, really high quality on a sentence level. Um, because typically they're, like, that's not what they're aiming to do, right? Like, a, the goal of a romance novel a lot of the time is that wish fulfillment element of, like, the people get together and we feel, like, happy or at least in some way, like, uh, satisfied, I guess, by that mm-hmm. arc emotionally. Um, often that is not really the goal of literary fiction. But if you take, like, a literary fiction, like, sort of, like, sentence style, because she has this, like, very sparse, like, staccato way of writing um, that is, like, not super romance novel-y, but then, like, her plot lines are very romance novel-y and, like, really allow you to kind of, like, put yourself into this, like, emotional escapism to some extent. Obviously, there's still, like, aspects that are, like, not totally positive emotionally, but, like, ultimately it ends up being a really satisfying romantic arc. And I think that that like alchemy, those two pieces that you put together that you don't often see is the reason why she like is such a fixation for so many people, especially between the ages of like 16 and 20 who major in English. (laughs) No, I think that makes a lot of sense. You kind of are getting the best of both worlds there. Yeah. Because I, I kind of feel the way about, like, super literary fiction, the way that I feel about Oscar nominees, where, like, 
I'll watch it, but, like, oftentimes I don't really enjoy it. And because there's so much media in the world to, like, read and watch and listen to, like, it kind of sometimes feels like not a waste of time, but just, like, I'm, like, wow, like, I know I'm reading something special, but also, like, am I having fun? And I think with Sally, she does a good job of, like, layering it enough with things that make it truly interesting to make it, like, both that really literary fiction and also, like, even though they don't really, like, she, I guess Beautiful World Where Are You, like, ends with that, like, romance book, like, bow, but, like, normal people doesn't. Yeah. It's like a loose single knot at the end of normal people. Mm-hmm. A tennis shoe that could come untied at any moment. But, like, it's, like, very preoccupied with, like, love in an ultimately very conventional sense. Which, like, it has the trappings of, like, kind of, like, radicalism, like we were talking about, like, economically and, like, politically. But then it ultimately is, like, pretty conservative when it comes to, like, it's still ultimately about, like, heterosexual monogamous love (laughs) like like even though there's like on the margins like a lot of depictions of like there's depictions of sort of like messy relationships like for the most part the engine of all of her plots is like heterosexual monogamous love i do think and i think we can move into the relationship section now that she like does a really good job of making those fringe relationships seem healthy and normal and good like, yeah. nothing about Bobby and Francis's relationship when they are, like, romantically linked is seen as, like, inappropriate because of Francis's love for Nick. And it's also, like, when, when Francis and Nick are together and, like, generally very happy and everyone in the whole not really thruple, quadruple, whatever's going on in that friend group slash relationship group of Bobby, Francis, Nick, and the wife. Melissa. (laughs) Thank you. I think this, I think I literally forgot it, like, two weeks ago, too. (laughs) Um, I'm nothing if not consistent. Um, like... There is a male character who is friends with Francis who is, like, abhorred that he, that, like, Francis is in a relationship with a married man. And, like, Sally Rooney makes it very clear that Philip is in the wrong. And that, like, whatever is going on there, like, if every person in it has consented to it and is comfortable with it and it is, like, not hurting anyone, that it is, like, fine. Yeah. And I think that, like, she also shows, like, I think that I personally am very much so, like, yes, you need to be, like, very close with your partner and be friends with your partner, but also, like, I could not be doing with, with, like, what Connell and Marianne are doing, where their relationship is, like, very fluid and I think that they're, they personally are kind of hurt by the fluidity of their relationship. Like, anytime the other person is, like, in a relationship with someone else, like, the other is, like, pretty deeply upset by it. But, like, 
when they are finally together and, like, grown and through a lot of the worst of the growing pains of, like, getting from the years 18 to 22, like, they don't seem to, like, carry any of that old hurt, which I think is a good thing to show because I, I think that, like, I don't know. That summer breakup where Connell says, like, I think we should see other people because Marianne didn't, because Marianne was like, the exact phrasing is, so you'll be going back to Sligo from Marianne, and Connell reads that as, you're breaking up with me, and says, like, so you'll be wanting to see other people then. But Marianne remembers it as, like, oh, so we're gonna see other people then. So, like, that conversation specifically right there, there's no recovery for me from that. <laughs> yeah. I'm not moving on. Congrats to Connell and Marianne, but unfortunately, like... Well, like, what do you mean? Like, you feel like you wouldn't be able to forgive the person? I... I... Like, I could potentially forgive it. I think that personally... Like, I find communication in a romantic relationship to be so important that, like, like, if you look at that from a bird's eye view, like, that's really awful communication. And then, like, at the end when they, like, sleep together the day that um, her brother breaks her nose and Connell says, like, I think it's pretty obvious that I want you to stay, and Marianne says, I don't find it obvious at all what you want. Like, just from a bird's eye view, like, that much miscommunication when both people think that they are, like, being clear, like, that would make me uncomfortable as a romantic partner, because, like, what does that mean for our future? Like, are are we just gonna miscommunicate forever and ever? Like, yeah. I I feel like this is maybe, like, a good point to, like, remember the distinction between, like, what is, like, depicted in a book versus, like, what, like, is, like, seen as what should happen or, like, what, like, always would happen. Like, I feel like Sally Rooney is not saying, like, this is, like, how a good relationship should go. <laughs> it's That's more that true. she's, like, saying that this, like, happens a lot. And, like, that this, I don't know, at least what I got from reading Normal People, especially the third time that I read it, which was when I read it for this podcast, is, like, that so often we, like, attach meaning to the things that people say and, like, assume meaning to the things that people say. And even if we feel like we're good communicators, we can still do that. And, like, it's really, really hard to not do that. And, like, Marianne and Connell are, like, doing this, like, dramatized version of that. Where it, like, really is very high stakes because they, like, are so insecure, um, I think is a big part of it. And they both, like, care about each other so much that they just, like, don't want to fuck anything up. And they're also, like, very fragile and, like, mentally ill. Um, so I think that she's just, like, depicting something that, like, often happens in relationships rather than like necessarily something that's good and I think that like maybe that's part of why they don't end up together in the end is that they like know that they love each other and they know that they can like do a lot of good for one another but at the same time like they aren't 
communicating well enough to like have this like long-term committed like long long distance relationship you know like maybe it's enough to just have this like beautiful friendship that like has romantic elements to it but maybe isn't your like be all end all mate for life you know yeah that's true that makes sense which is still sad and it can still be sad even if it's like good yeah that's true i i think that like generally it is good for me to read books like sally rooney books especially when i am also like mainlining generic romances just to like have something to read because there's like always Uh more of them because like I think that it is really dangerous to get and I don't think that I fall prey to this but I think it is like dangerous to get in a mindset of like oh these like silly little romances are like showing me what love is because like Uh Sally Rooney is showing you what love is and what depth of friendship is and what, like, the difference between, like, a romantic partner and a platonic partner and, like, like, how in real life lines are really fuzzy and messy and, like, and that can be a good thing and that can be a bad thing and, like, all of those things I think are important for, like, me personally to understand. Yeah. Yeah, I think that like seeing literature as like a demonstration of what's possible rather than like a guidebook for like what to do like what you should do I think is like a really like healthy and generally like good approach to have like a good posture to take while reading like whether you're reading Sally Rooney or like other stuff I don't I don't know I think (coughs) so sorry oh my god I need to go to the sea I need to go be by the sea, breathe in the sea air, but instead (laughs) I'm going to go to Colorado and breathe weak-ass mountain mountain air. air. Oh my god. Yeah, I'm doing the opposite of what I need to do, but you know, that's just life in the NFL, as they say. Anyway. Uh, (laughs) Let's do... Let's do, I almost want to set a timer. Let's do, like, four minutes on The Perfect Man. Yeah, Connell is the perfect man. Done. Connell is the perfect man. I have written in the outline, every single man has an ABC. Connell's ABCs are Paul with a little heart, grows and changes, and needs a hug. But also he's a good listener. I love you, Paul Mescal. I love you. He also, like, in the book, like, really does do a really excellent job of showing Marianne, who is a scared little deer, that she is worthy of love, and, like, that is important. Yeah. And, like, atones for his mistakes, accepts them, works on changing, does change, and still apologizes, even though he has, like, matured past mistakes he made when he was like 17 like matured mm-hmm. big man behavior yeah also he's um a jock with depth and that happens to be my favorite type of person 
He is the only person in Sally Rooney's novels to wear rugby shorts, and that is something we should be considering. He is the only person to, as far as I know, and I have read all of these in the past, like, two weeks, so I do know, he is the only person who, like, discernibly has ever done a sport. Yeah. Who's in these That's books. true. That isn't, like, some rich boy sport. Do, are, are there rich boy sports being played in these books? I feel like Simon, like, road or some bullshit. Yeah. Simon and uh, Nick are indistinguishable, like, in their looks to me. Joe Alwyn could The way that I picture them in my head are the same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Speaking of Simon, Simon's number two. Simon is number two because he has a real job, is a good caretaker, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. generally is very patient with Eileen being objectively whack and insecure about their relationship. I would add, I think that he is slaying boots as a Catholic. I think that he is, like... I don't know. I feel like we could, like, demote him, or we could, like, retract some points for how he, like, they're always talking about how he, like, dates, like, really, really young women. Yeah, I don't <laughs> like that. Yeah, but I, like, can't tell what, like, I feel like we never actually like, see that happen. Like, I wonder whether that's, like, meant to be, like, a joke that Eileen is making. Like, he, like, had a 24-year-old girlfriend, and then she's, like, He's dating these children. You know what I mean? Like, maybe because she's 29, she's like, everyone who's younger than me is a, like, sexy baby and I'm a monster on a hill. Oh. I don't know. That's a very good thought. Just spitballing. (laughs) Number three, I've written, I've written literally just Joe Alwyn because I forgot Nick's name while I was making the outline. (laughs) (laughs) He is third because he has a fake job, is also, in parentheses, mm-hmm. kinda a caretaker, and is generous once he realizes Francis needs his help financially. Like, yeah. he's literally like, wait, you're starving? Like, why didn't you tell me? Yeah, so he gets points for not letting his mistress starve. <laughs> yeah, huge, huge. That's... Very Russian novel of us to be like, look at this man. <laughs> He's not letting his mistress starve. Oh my god. <laughs> what a the good bar is man. in hell. <laughs> yeah. Nick is one of those characters that I feel like... I'm really glad that Sally Rooney, like, did a little bit less talking about how... She, like, progressively through her novels got better at, like, casually letting us know that the man is hot without constantly letting us know that the man is hot. Because, like, Nick, his only traits are hot and sad. So, really, it's not hot, sad girl. It's hot, sad everyone. That's true. Simon is also sad. They, like, really are often speaking on, like, him feeling a lot of despair about the world. And Connell is And Connell sad. is hot and sad. Yeah. All of them are hot and sad. Except for number four, Felix. Who is a criminal? <laughs> he's mean and he's literally a criminal. And if I could put what him lower his... than four, I would. What is his crime? We don't know. Gambling addict, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Also, like, 
he alludes to having done something really bad and losing his job. Oh, I thought that he he lost his job because he wasn't going to work because he was sad about his mom dying. Oh. But then he also did something really bad, which was knocking up the girl that was 14 when he was 15 and then telling her to get an abortion. Which, not great. Yeah. Yeah. Generally, I'm anti-Felix. Maybe he's not literally a criminal, but he's way too mean. He also, like, we are often shown in Beautiful World, Where Are You? that, like, Alice is like, yeah, Felix, come over. Felix, I really like you. And, like, in the time that he's in the Uber, like, riding to Alice's house, he's, like, swiping on Tinder. Yeah, that is true. He is on Tinder a lot, which is kind of weird. Well, and there's also the whole, like, violent, watching violent porn on his phone. Oh, yeah, I completely forgot about that. he's, like, on a romantic getaway in Rome with Alice. Like, I'm sorry, if someone paid my way to go to Rome, I simply would close out of that section of my browser for the weekend. (laughs) Out of respect. Yeah, no, the... Those are two great points. First of all, the, like, still being on Tinder while you're casually seeing someone, I just, like, am... I don't know. I feel like I'm kind of a hypocrite about this, because, like, I feel like I've been saying... For a long time, people are people, they can do what they want. Like, you don't have to be exclusive with someone as long as you communicate. That is fine, whatever. Peace and love. But as soon as someone is, like, on a dating app, I'm like, sleaze. Sleaze. Immediate sleaze. Smash that sleaze button. I don't like you. And I think that that's, like, an internal bias that I have that I need to work through. I need to sit with. Oh, I, so when, when Sam and I started dating for the second time, he, like, we were, like, had been on, like, two or three dates, and I hadn't deleted Hinge yet, but I wasn't responding to anything. I just, like, hadn't gone through the rigmarole of, like, holding down the Hinge app on my phone and hitting the little X to delete it. Yeah. And also, it's exhausting. Like, if I had to delete it, I would have had to log back in and make all my stuff if stuff hadn't worked out, and, like... All of these things, so I just, like, hadn't done it yet, but every time... Oh my god, toxic talk. I know. (laughs) Every time that I was, like, over at Sam's, we would be, like, on a date, one of those dates where I would, like, sit on his couch and talk to him for six hours. Like, I would get little hint notifications, and I would be fucking mortified. (laughs) Like, I was like, I'm I'm a serial cheater. Like... (laughs) I'm revolting when, like, I wasn't responding to anyone. Like, I literally had just, like, humble brag, like, 30 likes, like, stacking up on my, like, on my, like, hinge notifications, but I, like, wasn't responding to them, but every time I got the little notification, I was like, oh my god, oh my god, he's gonna think that I'm, like, seeing other people. you didn't even turn off notifications, Tuck. I, I don't know how my phone setting settings work. Oh my god. I think that that's one of those classic things where, like, if a man did that, it would be a fireable offense. And, like, my my gal pal is doing that, and I'm like, oh my god, that's such a funny story, like, you're da 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 No, but- I was mortified. It was awful. <laughs> it was awful. I kept, like, like, seeing it come up, and I would, like, reach over to my phone and flip it over face down. Yeah, because you were... 
being a sleazeball, fucker. That's why. But I wasn't (laughs) responding to anyone. I wasn't swiping. (laughs) I was just making sure it was going to work out this time. You were collecting the men. You were building the roster. Oh my god, leave me alone. I think that I just I just have like a, a bias against dating apps that is unfair. So maybe it's not. We have to finish recording soon because I have to tell you something. Oh, okay, okay. Give it, give us some recommendations for Sally Rooney. For yeah, Rooney um, for the Rooney heads. So. Um, I thought of a couple of suggestions that kind of are more related to the first prong of that, like, two-prong appeal of hers, which is, like, the, like, literary merit and the, like, romantic whatever, the, like, romance novelist's heart thing. I can't really speak to the romance novel category. Tuck, maybe you can. For the, like, literary sentence-level thing, there are certain things that are, like, really characteristic of Sally Rooney novels. Like, she has a very, like, typically, like, pretty short sentences. They tend to be, like, descriptive of the physical environment, but not flowery. Um, It's kind of, like, almost Hemingway-esque, but, like, millennial woman Hemingway. And so there's, like, a couple of things that came to mind. So one is... Um, the Outline Trilogy by Rachel Cusk. So the first book is called Outline. Um, and then there's a book called Kudos and a book called Transit. Uh, I can't remember what the order is. Oh, actually, it's on my shelf. Yeah, it goes Outline, Transit, and then Kudos. Um, she also has a book called Second Place. All of those, like, keep with the same, like, sort of, like, the beats. Like, if you think about, like, the pace of Sally Rooney's writing which is like very quick to read because all the sentences are pretty short and it like really moves it has pace to it um she really writes in that way and it kind of is just like a more mature version like maybe it kind of reads a little bit like how Sally will probably write when she's in her 40s because outline specifically is like Telling the story of this woman who, like, goes on a trip to Greece and she, like, meets these various different people and she's, like, a series of conversations between them and it's, like, a like a psychological portrait of her and all of these people she meets. It's really interesting. The other one is the author Elif Batuman, who wrote The Idiot and Either Or, both of which are named after other novels. <laughs> um, the Idiot's named after the Dostoevsky novel. Either or named after um, a book by Kierkegaard. They um, follow the same character who's a like Turkish undergraduate at Harvard who is kind of like trying to figure out her life and her identity and navigating losing her virginity as a 20 year old and what that means for her and like um kind of like trying to figure out who she is and so it kind of has that same element of like growing up is hard to do and like how do you reconcile like being a quote-unquote gifted kid while also like knowing that that doesn't really mean anything um she also does a lot of traveling which is another thing that I think is core to Sally Rooney books but it's a lot more like 
uh, like lived in and in kind of more interesting parts of the world. She goes to Hungary, she goes to Turkey. And so it's just kind of like a, a less um, white Western European version of a similar kind of like cerebral buildings roman, I would say. So I recommend those two. I've been thinking about what direction to go with romance. I mean, the most obvious, like, the issue with, like, literary things that I read is there, like, a lot of literary that I've read has been classic, classic, because I just read so much, like, very, very contemporary, like, easily digestible fiction. I mean, mm-hmm. if we're gonna talk about, like, literary romance where there's class conflict, you could always read Pride and Prejudice. um other things that i'm thinking of if you want to read about like being sad and growing up and like this is a lot more digestible but um there's a book called saving francesca by melina marchetta and it is based in australia and she um like the book starts with her being like one of like 20 girls at a recently like integrated boys school that was recently made a boy girl catholic school um and her mother really pushed for her to go and it's like her senior or her like junior year so she like went to an all-girls school and then moved over with these 20 girls and then her mother becomes like deeply 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 clinically depressed Mm. and like it's kind of like how the family falls apart and starts to put themselves back together and like trying to help her while also like going through a lot of growing pains herself I find it to be very comforting, but I think I'd read anything Melina Marchetta wrote down. She's my my comfort teen novelist. So, oh, I love her. I love her. I've not heard of her. Don't understand a lot of um, Australian slang, though. (laughs) Like I have to like look a lot of things up because it is like really not recognizable English to me sometimes. So in that way, it's, like, appealing to the part of, sometimes I feel like reading a Sally Rooney book, I'm kind of, like, getting a peek into a, like, Anglophone culture that I don't often see. Like, you hear, she's kind of, like, talking in, like, a particularly Irish way, and you're like, oh, it's interesting. Like, I never really thought about that. So in that way, Australia is another place to explore the dialect while you're reading an interesting story. Well, the issue with them being teen books is they, like, are really calling each other a lot of names. Hmm. And so yeah. sometimes I'm like, that seems like a slur. I don't <laughs> know if you're allowed to say that. Um, but yeah, that that would be my, uh, there, I've got my depression recommendation and I've got my romance recommendation. I mean. Nice. I think Austin writes in a pretty literary way. I mean, you can always read Persuasion as well if you are, like, looking for, like, a character who is really trapped in her own mind. Um, okay. We did it. We compared and contrasted the novels. We sure did. Compared and contrasted the novels. I did not put that in the past tense, but that's okay. Um, Comp conned. Consider your comp conned. Um, next month, we're having a little switcheroo. We will be doing Colleen Hoover month. I know I said I never would, but 
Um, <laughs> we will be starting next week with um Verity, which I will say my friend Kayla will be on, and I did read the the Libby description of this book and then sent her like six puke emojis. It just like oh it's, god, it's gonna guys. be rough. I think I it's think gonna so be rough. Too. She did try to back out of it, and I really had to be like, girl, this was your idea. She tried to back out of, uh, what, what what did she want to do instead? She didn't have other, she was like, I want to read good books. (laughs) And I was like, um. Sorry. Sorry. I wrote you down for Colleen Hoover six months ago. Yeah, also reading good books, like. I feel like we really could have been a lot funnier if we were reading less good books. This yeah, week we, for this we month. I think we might have good books about for a couple of months. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I took up all the good books, guys. <laughs> um, Don't worry, we'll I'll come back on Akatar and it will not be a good book. <laughs> <laughs> they they're fun. They're really fun. But yeah, there's a lot of, like, roaring. I'm excited for you to get to that. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, this has been All My Friends Are English Majors. Thank you, Jess, for coming on for Sally Rooney Month. You can follow us on Instagram at EnglishMajorsPod. You can email us at EnglishMajorsPod at gmail.com if you want to argue with us about our definition of communism. Um, <laughs> Jess, do you have anything to say before we sign off? Uh... Oh, Just, she's on the spot. I don't know. Thank you for having me on. It was a pleasure. And she's Sal on my room till I knee. That's all. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye.